0: Welcome to the Eat With Grace podcast with your hosts, Jackie and Brooke, where we push back against the culture around food and nutrition from a biblical perspective. Thank you all for joining us today. Today we're going to talk about... Um, a topic that maybe some people are not aware of, aware of, um, Jackie and I came across, a, an investigation that was done where someone went into some restaurants, um, to actually see if what they were advertising and what they were serving was truly what they were, what they were being given or what they were, um, what they were providing to their customers. Uh, and I think the information is really eye-opening. And so it's something that we wanted to share with you. So I'm going to turn it over to Jackie and let her explain a little bit about what of what some of the findings were from this investigation.
1: It was a super interesting, interesting uh, journalistic investigation of different uh, restaurants and the different advertising that was used. And was that the actual food that served? Um, This uh, journalist would go to different restaurants and have a little baggie in their purse. And so when the menu said that it was red snapper or that this is fresh local grouper or this is um, fresh blue crab, she would take a sample of it and take it back to the lab and analyze it to see if it was what was on the menu. So it turned out that um, we're all being fed a story. Just about every place that she went, she found that the story they were telling was not actually what was happening. When they analyzed the fish, the fish was not what the menu said it was. It was not local. And like um, one example was the restaurant said it was um, local blue crabs. First of all, it was not from the area. It was from like Uh, another country. And secondly, it wasn't even blue crab. There was another example of, of uh, where lobster rolls were, were um, served. And she found out there wasn't lobster in it. It was another kind of fish and it was uh, mixed up. It was delicious. It was tasty. It was cheap, but it was not lobster. So the other words that she found um, that she would investigate is, this idea of local. And you know, it's a story we're being, um, we're being fed and we are willing to pay more because our image of local is that the food's gonna be fresher and taste better. It means possibly in our ideas in our head is that better food safety, a smaller carbon footprint And preserving genetic diversity and building community because it's local. That's all wonderful things that I would love to support. But you know what? Local, first of all, doesn't have a definition. Secondly, it doesn't mean those things. So some of the advertising that goes along with this, they say, if you spend your money locally, uh, then you are going to, it's going to be multiplied three times. So... Um, you know, first of all, you're purchasing it from the restaurant owner and the restaurant owner got that from somewhere local and that farmer got their feed from somewhere local. And that would be wonderful if it worked that way. But that multiplying effect, it was a term that was coined uh, by an economist a long time ago as a motivation for health. You know, we find out that the markets and the restaurants, they're playing fast and loose with the truth. And um, she went to four-star restaurants. She went to, um, you know, mom-and-pop restaurants. And there were very few that really lived up to the story that they were trying to sell. Right. So, you know, I just think it's a really fascinating example of, do we really get what we're ordering. And my husband, when I was telling him the story, he says, well, what is the matter? They're getting good food. It's a good story. They feel good about it. But you know who really um, it's hurting are the farmers, because they will advertise that this food came from this farm. The investigative journalist then would look and go to the farm. They said, no, we have never sold any of our Meats or our produce to that restaurant, even though they use the name. Or maybe another one said, We sold it to them a year ago, but they've not bought anything since. Mm -hmm. Another one whose name was used as um, where the venison came from, they said, Not only do we not sell to that restaurant, but we don't even sell venison. So, so what you're looking at here is um, those farmers' names are used in advertising to help the restaurant make money but the farmer gets none of it
0: right right that's that's so sad (laughs) I think when when you first told me about this this report I was like oh my goodness like we're all being duped and I don't think anyone is aware that it probably happens more often than not you know I think um like we talked about in our last Podcast with, with marketing and, um, all of these terms and labels that, um, food companies or restaurants or anyone puts on these foods, it is literally to make them seem more appealing so that they're more willing to buy them, but there, there doesn't have to be any truth behind them. And I think, you know, I don't, I don't know if, if there are any regulations from an FDA standpoint about, Those kind of marketing terms. I don't know if that's regulated or not.
1: Actually, um, it did say in the article that that uh, they would be fined for um, Mm. false advertising, but it was like ten dollars, twenty dollars. Oh goodness! Yeah. So the fine was so small, and it's probably different in different places in different states. Yeah. The food supply—it's so vast. It's so complicated. like, I have seen bottles of oil labeled extra virgin olive oil. And then to know that it's blended with uh, other kinds of oils or different kinds of bread that'll be labeled as high fiber. And then when you look at the label, it says it's cellulose. Well, that's fiber from wood pulp. In it. Right. And, you know, It is fiber and it does carry food out of our body. And it probably does have a purpose in it, but it isn't what is on that label. And when you go to a restaurant um, to see things are naturally raised or fair trade or responsibly grown, you know, we trust that that's the, the story we have been given and that we have made up in our head is true. Right. And we need to go with the idea that, um, unless we can really analyze it, we won't right. know. And she did say in the article that there is, are some restaurants that will let you go to an app. It'll show you exactly where the food on your plate came from. But she said, a lot of people don't want restaurants, don't use it because Consumers and um, all of the rest, all of us, we don't wanna go to a restaurant and find out that our fish was really caught a week ago. Right. And it's called fresh.
0: Right. Um, right.
1: But that's that's the reality of our food supply.
0: Yeah. No, that's really interesting. I think so much of this too, not only in the restaurant industry, but it would cross over into the supplement industry. Um, you know the supplement industry in the United States is not re- is not regulated, and so <clears throat> there's been a lot of um, investigations even into supplements that people take like over the counter vitamins, minerals, especially I would say herbal supplements, um, where they've done third party testing on them to see if what is actually in the supplement is what's you know listed on the label, and more often than not, um, it the ingredients don't match either there's not a, there's not the level of that specific ingredient in there that that's incorrect um, there might be ingredients in the supplement that aren't even listed on the label um, or there might be um, there might be like really harmful things found in those supplements like high levels of um, you know lead or other toxic metals in there uh, that are actually really harmful um, you know, we've, we've all heard, I think, uh, you know, stories about things being like just sugar pills and, and they're not being anything in there. Uh, but because it's not regulated, because these things don't have to be tested, they don't have to prove quality. Um, a lot of people are spending money on things and putting things into their body um, without having any idea that what they're actually taking might not be what it says it is.
1: That is so true. And my conclusion is that just about everyone tells some tales. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're whoppers and sometimes they're just little fibs born of ignorance. And sometimes they're almost harmless omissions or greenwashing, but um, very little of what we see as marketing
0: should be believed. Right. And so like, as dieticians, I think that's one thing that I'm, I've always been, well, I shouldn't say always, <laughs> as, as I move on in my career and as I get older and learn more, um, that I've been really wary about making um, substantial claims about things, whether it's different foods or things like that, because um, where was I going with this? Well, well, Brooke, I think you were just headed
1: in the direction that, um, when we make claims, we just have to be really careful about it. And and yes, go ahead. And
0: yes, and because like, um, we want to make sure that we're being honest and that we're not misleading or being dishonest, you know. I think there's a difference between intentionally being dishonest and leading someone versus unintentionally being dishonest and misleading someone, Um, but it happens. And so, you know, like as dietitians, I don't want to tell someone that, you know, this particular food or supplement or diet program or whatever, you know, is, you know, wonderful or is not wonderful is horrible Um, because unless I know that for a you know 100% fact I don't want to mislead someone um, in thinking that something could be really good or bad for them when it's really not you know like I think it it just comes down to that um, that honesty and that transparency and make sure that we're we're being truthful um, with the public and with our clients Um, because that's where, you know, a lack of trust, um, maybe comes into it. If, you know, and, and I think about like our profession 30 years ago, people go back and they're like, Oh, all dietitians do is promote margarine and say that eggs are bad and all this stuff. And as the science has evolved, we've learned, we've learned more things, but it, it does affect our reputation when we, when we make really strong claims like that, that may not be. Uh, 100% factual.
1: That is so true. And you know, one way to tell when something isn't factual is when it really sounds too good to be true. Um, here's an example. So here's a menu and it reads that it's the food is free of hormones, antibiotics, chemical additives, genetical modification, and virtually all made from scratch. We fry in organic coconut oil and source local distributors, farmers, brewers, and family wineries. So the food also is, is very reasonable. Then you probably know those things are not going to be true because you pick any one of them. And it probably would have to be very, very expensive to, um, to have, have that true. So right, right. Um, take, for example saying that a food is made from scratch. You go into a restaurant and their menu says it's made from scratch. So they grab a um, some breaded shrimp out of the freezer and they fry it in the oil and serve it up with, uh, let's say it's coconut shrimp served with an apricot kind of uh, sauce. And it could, they could consider that made from scratch. They open a jar of apricot jelly, they add a couple of ingredients to it and they have the coconut shrimp from the freezer. They could consider that they made that from scratch because they cooked it. So our idea of what's made from scratch is that we go in the kitchen and we pull out the flour and the the other ingredients to make it, but that isn't necessarily what someone else's uh, connotation of it. So, and the idea of advertising, we fry in organic coconut oil. Okay. That is very, very easy to document whether we do or not. Mm -hmm. But what's less easy to document is what does that do for our health? I think they're indicating it does something good for me. Right. Right. But when I look at the evidence, I find out, okay, first of all, coconut oil is probably not any better than any of the other fats that we fry in right and frying food period adds calories and uh adds fat to our diets which most of us don't need extra of so they're making it sound like it's
0: good aren't they brooke yeah Mm -hmm. definitely and i think um you know, for a few years, their coconut oil was the thing. It was just one of those trendy foods uh, that everyone uh, latched onto, not realizing, um, yeah, maybe how it does affect their health. I know there were lots of people that all of a sudden started um, not only cooking with coconut oil, but actually like literally taking it by the spoonful, Um you know, because of the, the so-called health benefits. And yes, you know, there are medium chain triglycerides in it. And, you know, there's maybe some things, but it's also very, very saturated, um, and has significant effects on people, um, with their cholesterol levels, especially if you have, uh, that genetic component that, that, you know, um, that you're more prone to high cholesterol. People's cholesterol was shooting through the roof because all of a sudden they just gravitated towards this coconut oil of being like uh, the next best thing. And so again, it all comes back to balance. Um, Can coconut oil be part of a healthy diet? 100%. Um, but should it be the oil that we fry everything in or put in everything? Absolutely not. We know that the, the benefits of you know the extra virgin olive oil and the nuts and the avocados and those other um, unsaturated fats uh, are going to have more health-promoting benefits than, than the coconut oil, but we can, we can certainly find a balance of all of those things and not get sucked into that super trendy, this is the next best thing kind of Kind of thinking that people get sucked into. So when you look at restaurant
1: um, menus and and you order something and you're thinking you're getting a certain um, product, you mm-hmm. may yeah. or may not be able to get it. And the people in power, they can push the narratives. Um, and you know, some of the people pushing the narratives, they've never had any experience in any of this they don't understand the farming industry they don't understand um all the things of where the food comes from and anytime we have this single-minded thinking where everyone is kind of thinking alike like oh you have to be plant-based or Mm -hmm. you have to um do this or this or this. Restaurants are going to pick up on it. Yes. Restaurant uh, owners they need to make a living. They need to sell meals. They hear this is what people want, so that's what they're going to put on that menu includes, et cetera. Right. And um, you know, I I think the the whole movement of plant based is very interesting because there is evidence that eating a lot of produce is healthy for us. And that that's, that is definitely mean that our diet should have a lot of plants in it. And there's nothing wrong with a plant-based diet, except that the connotation then is, if you have anything but plants in your diet, right? A negative. Right. And right. so you look at a menu and it, it talks about all these things as being plant-based. And in some way, They're trying to make me as the consumer feel like it's healthier because of that. Um, what's your idea? Have you seen some plant-based foods that aren't even as healthy as the ones they are supposed to be substituting for?
0: Oh goodness. Well, I suppose when you think about, um, you know, like the, the impossible, is it the impossible burger at Burger King and like all of those like lab grown meats, um, based on, um, that are made out of plant foods. Yeah. I, from a health standpoint, I would say, no, if you look at the ingredients um, and the amount of sodium and things that they have to add to those things to make them taste good, definitely not, not a healthier option. Um, Now, if for some reason, someone doesn't like meat or, you know, follows a vegan diet for whatever reason, I'm sure it's a good alternative for them, but, you know, going back to even just the term plant-based, like you were saying, we were actually surveyed as dietitians a couple of years ago, what, what the term plant-based means to us. Um, because I think when people hear that out in the public, it, you know, a lot of people mean that you're, you're diet is plants. Like it's vegan. It's only, or it's vegetarian. It's only plants where when I hear the term plant-based, I think, okay, the base, you know, if we're going back to like food pyramid, um, the base of your diet is plants, but you still have meats and dairy and protein and all these other things. So, um, there's room for all of that in there. And like I said, it's, it's a marketing term. It has different meanings to different people. And so you have to be really careful, and, and try to understand or figure out who's the one giving the message and what their meaning of that definition is, because it's gonna vary depending on the person.
1: That's so true. And when we have these ideas that we hold dear and absolutely won't veer from them, that's when nutrition becomes something of a religion. Yeah. And that's where um, we have to really be careful that we're not making some of our ideas idols. And you know, there it's. I've often seen situations where people get really upset when when uh, when we say that healthy eating is can include all different types of foods, Mm -hmm. because they hold very strongly to certain precepts that doesn't don't have any evidence. But that is the things that. that they're holding dear to. That's yep. when nutrition kind of becomes a religion. It takes the place yep. of of uh, what God has said in that you know all foods are there for us to eat. Yep.
0: Yep. No, I am. I think we both are all foods fit, everything in moderation um, type people, and because. Um, because, yeah, because we, we, we've seen the science and we, we understand the purpose of food and, and the role that it's meant to play in our lives. And that, um, that yeah, it's, it's there to provide us mo- both nourishment and pleasure. And so it, it's okay to do those things. Yeah. Nourishment and
1: pleasure. Those are really important words to go along with the idea of food. And um, I really want to point out that when we're at a restaurant, Just understand, this is sometimes a fairy tale, the story that they're telling. But restaurants will give us nourishment, it'll give us pleasure.
0: Yes, so can I just ask you a quick question? So it just came to me. So when we're thinking about these restaurants serving food that isn't actually what it is, and these restaurants are required to provide the nutrition information on all of their menu items, we could assume that that's probably inaccurate as well, right? Well, I,
1: yes, in fact, research has been done on that too. And um, think of, you know, they, I think they try to be accurate and okay. I think they try to make those labels as accurate as possible. But think of the person making minimum wage back in the kitchen and they might be very talented at cooking and they know, oh, if I just add a little more of this, a little more of right. this, it's right. going to be extra good. If I right. give a little bigger portion of this, the plate's going to look fuller. I'm going to be able to get a bigger tip, etc. Right. And all of a sudden you've increased the portion sizes and you've increased the calories by 30%. And right. all that nutrient information is, is uh, different than what's Uh, Right, And I don't think most of the time that they're trying to purposely mislead us. I think they're just trying to make their food as good as it can be. So it sells and it may or may not be like the food that was uh, used in the nutrition analysis.
0: Right. Yeah. So just something else to kind of keep in mind, take with a grain of salt, um, that maybe then the nutrient information or the, the calorie information on those menus um, might not be exact. Like I, I think even with food manufacturing and labels, isn't there like up to like a 20% margin of error either way. And so these are just general guidelines, um, maybe estimates about what is in a food and it's not an exact. So just keep that in mind if you're, um, you know, like maybe for someone with diabetes, who's doing some carb counting and, and, and trying to figure out how much insulin to give that, um, in those scenarios, it, it might be kind of difficult um, to come up with exact things because, yeah, they, they're not going to be exact. I think we could do our whole a whole
1: podcast on talking about um, nutrition labeling and which parts of it, you know, can have that twenty percent leeway and what that means for us. So, I think that would be a really interesting conversation too. Sure, definitely. So, But um, thank you so much for joining us today. Brooke and I just really enjoy the Eat With Grace podcast, and we're hoping that you do too. We have appreciated how many listeners. It has just been incredibly uh, wonderful surprise for us to see how many of you are listening. So send us a comment, Um, add to the, the reviews of the podcast, and let us know what you like. Let us know what you want to hear about in the future. So...